And so finally, the man gets up very slowly, just walks to the back. He's just very pensive and reflective. He's just got this look on his face. He's just, you know, just absorbing what he heard. He goes to the back. He's like, Pastor, I know I tell you this every day. But that was grace. That was so good. I was just so upset. And I was just so perturbed because everyone who needed to hear that message wasn't here today. <laughs> so this man obviously never learned his lesson. But today's message is about being right. And maybe more than any other uh, week, uh, any other sermon, that we need, to, we need to be reminded that this sermon is for you. It is not for the person next to you. Well, it is, but don't worry about it, right? This sermon is for you. And there's a great temptation for us that I think it's a puzzle on us. Um, because we really like being right. We really like thinking that we're already in the right. And this is something we are obsessed with. Uh, I just kind of looked up being right, and I looked up images. And these are some of the images that came up. Long story short, I'm right, and all of you are wrong. Hmm, you can be right. Duh, my lips are moving. Of course I'm right. I'm not arguing. I'm just explaining my rightness. I hear And of course I'm right, you're wrong, I win, you lose. <laughs> Friends, doesn't it feel like in this public discourse that it's so hard to talk to people? It's so hard to convince anyone of what truth is in this era of fake news and all that. Right? What is fake news? Fake news is what you don't like, right? What tells you you're wrong, and you're like, oh, well, it must be fake, right? Because I'm not wrong. Right? And so, for a lot of us, I preached this a few weeks ago, how most people will only watch the news that supports their political leaning, right? So if you're a conservative, you watch Fox News. You know, like, mm, I love it. Oh, it's so good. Right? And, and if you're liberal, maybe you watch like CNN or see it, uh, uh, the CNBC. And you're like, again, it's like, oh man, it's so good, you know? And friends, part of that is because it feels good to be right. Why is that? We are obsessed with being right. People ruin their marriages over being right. <laughs> People ruin good friendships over wanting to be right. It's kind of insanity, but this is where we are at as a culture. Why is that? I read this article on psychology today, and uh, the writer, who is a psychologist, was positing that maybe one of the reasons is because of our education system. Our education system rewards people for being right. Right? <laughs> when a teacher is asking a question, hey, you know, can you answer this, this, this question? And then somebody gives the right answer, you're like, oh, Johnny, that's fantastic. Oh, you're right. Now, think about that for a moment. Johnny already knew the answer. Johnny did not learn anything, right? He had already learned the answer. So we are not rewarding Johnny uh, for learning in that situation. We are rewarding him for being right. And so if someone gets the wrong answer, it feels like a failure. It feels like you're getting shut down. Oh, sorry. You know? And we don't like that feeling. We don't like feeling like a failure. And so the same person, just, just kind of as an aside for anyone who's an educator or just you know, thought about education, that you're saying, wouldn't it be wonderful if we rewarded people the same way we reward them for being right, 
for asking a really good question. Right? Because don't you learn more from a really good question that there's no simple answer than from being right? Like, oh man, Johnny just asked a great question. Oh man, that just makes me think. I don't even know the answer to that question. It was so good. Let's try to figure that out together. Right? But in this day and age, we must be right. And people don't even listen to each other. We don't listen because we already assume we're right and we want to convince other people we're right. So you just get people shouting at each other, talking each other down, right? And there is never that assumption. The first assumption that must be there to be corrected is to say, maybe I'm wrong. It's going back to that spouse thing, how marriages get ruined over someone wanting to be right. That it's so interesting that this same psychologist who wrote that article I was talking about, um, he's a, a marriage therapist. And he said one of the questions that he'll talk to about these couples who so often are arguing about who's right is that he'll ask them this very kind of curious question that kind of pits two very American values against each other. He says, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Because you wanting to be right is ruining your marriage. It's ruining harmony. And so you think this is part of your identity. That must be right. That must be uh, reinforced with that idea, oh, I'm right. But at the same time, at what cost? Now, friends, that's kind of a funny thing to put against each other. Right? To say that, well, that's a huge American value, wanting happiness. And I'm not saying, I'm advocating that position, that you should just aim for happiness and you know, not be right. But friends, I think that it's interesting that that's how strong that is for us. Because you know how much Americans want to be happy, right? That we would be willing to be so unhappy and make everyone around us unhappy. Just so we could be right. Mm. Powerful life, isn't it? And it's just automatic for us. So friends, I think at this point, it is, because this is a sermon series, and we are continuing in um, talking about James. We just started last week. And this whole sermon series is about how we actually live out this faith. How does this faith become operative in our lives? And we mentioned last week, it was all about this idea that discomfort is necessary for growth. And being right feels good. It feels comfortable. And so, friends, this is a message that might be hard for some of us to hear. And so I just want to remind us, discomfort is necessary for the world. So with that, friends, let's just dive right in. So this is verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person, we mentioned this last week, James is not writing to just one community uh, in one country. He's writing to the diaspora, the dispersion. Right? All the, the Jews and Christians were scattered around the world. Right? So he's writing to everyone. And he emphasizes this. This instruction, this advice, this word of admonishment is for every person. Every person needs to hear this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Friends, isn't this almost the exact opposite? of the way most of us are now in America, right? Aren't most of us slow to hear, right? 
We're quick to speak. And we are quick to anger. Friends, if you are quick to speak, it means that you are speaking on something you already believe. Right? It is already information you have. So when somebody is talking to you, being slow to hear, uh, sorry, quick to hear, is all about saying, you know what, maybe this person has something of value for me to hear. I remember hearing Richard Moore talk about this, and he says, yeah, there are a lot of people I talk to, and they're wrong. Maybe like 90%. And sometimes the way they say it is very offensive. You know, and, and they disagree with me, and, and they call me a heretic, and they shut me down. You know, he goes and he gives these talks, and some people are like, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. And he says, but what I'm trying to do is just listen. And just to say to myself, is there even just 10% truth here? If there's 10% truth amongst 90% of stuff that's not very helpful, it's still worth listening to. Now, Dallas Willard used to practice this. That when he was talking to someone, he found himself getting defensive or argumentative, that he would put his hands behind his back. <laughs> and so that was a way of kind of showing, sort of, you know, I'm open. I'm open. I'm, I'm here to listen. And he really would listen. Dallas Willard was famous for um, when, when he would talk to him, it would take him a really long time to answer. Now, I've heard from a lot of people, Dallas Willard was one of the smartest people he ever knew. He had so much information. But for him, he wanted to make sure that he listened. And that whatever he said, that it really came from the Holy Spirit and not just from his own mind. So before he could answer something, he would very thoughtfully just be in the presence of God and he'd just be sitting there like, Dallas? Hello? (laughs) What's going on? And he'd just be like, Okay, so what I want to tell you is, okay, it's uncomfortable for us, right? We're not used to it. We're not used to the silence. We're not used to listening. Right? We're just used to quick fire responses. And again, friends, if you are able to answer that quickly, that means that was already at the top of your, your mind, right? You are already thinking of silence. And so we are not creating room oftentimes for other people's speak truth instruments. And then this whole, anger, uh, this whole thing about anger, being slow to anger. Friends, if any of you drive in America, you know this is a real problem It is for me. Anger is something that happens immediately. You do not have to think about anger, although thinking oftentimes makes you worry. But oftentimes it's a very just visceral, automatic reaction and response to things going on. And again, friends, that is about what is already within you. And so, friends, living faith, the, the book of James is all about process, journey, and transformation. It is not about trying to get you to feel good about what is already in your life. And anger is a good indication that there is something in your life that is not right, that is amiss. Right? Something that is offended. Something that, that, that is just like, no, no, you don't like it, right? Now, friends, this is not the same as God. Right? That is a whole different story. There is a time to be angry about the things of God. But we have to ask that question, 
when it becomes us and we get so overwhelmed with anger that we lose control. Because the way I read it, self-control is what the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That if we get angry in a way that we cannot control ourselves, I think it's a pretty clear indication that is from God. That's from you. It's because you're people, God. If you get so angry that you can't listen to someone, you have to leave them. That's an indication of something within you that is so offended that cannot be. And so, friends, this is not to say that you should think you're a horrible person. Right? Remember, all of this is in the context that Jesus Christ died for you. That, that this is not about uh, the worldly regret that's like, oh, shame on you. You should be horrible. You should feel so bad. Right? Godly regret, godly grief is that which leads to repentance and leads to salvation. Right? It is without regret. Second Corinthians 7. It is without so this is none of this is to make you say to yourself, oh man, I just I'm a horrible person because I have anger. No, friends. Anger is not a good way to motivation to change, but it is a good indication that something needs to change. And so a lot of us are quick to anger. And so that James makes it very clear: the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Why do we get angry? Because there's something we don't like that we want to change. We feel out of control. And our anger is a way of expressing that feeling of being out of control. And oftentimes we use our anger as a weapon to try to change things. There's some people who think that we must get angry to change the world. You hear that? But James would disagree with you. Because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Very interesting. We talked about the idea of being right. And I think righteousness is a word that has kind of lost its meaning today. You know, but I prefer to, to just say rightness. The rightness of God. How does God want you to actually be? That is the rightness of God. So all the things that we hear about, and all the things that we see personified in Jesus, all the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see that in Jesus Christ. You should have that within you. That is the rightness of God. And anger does not produce that. Anger gives you the illusion that of power. The illusion that maybe with your anger it will motivate you to change things. Or... It's going to motivate other people. Oh, man. I'm scared of his anger. I'm scared of her anger. I better give them what they want. We wield it as a weapon, guys. But if you do that, then you might change things. But make no mistake, you'll be changing it with fear. Not with love. Isn't there a scripture that says perfect love drives out fear? And so, if we want the rightness of God, it cannot be done again. My friends, I preached a sermon a few months ago. We talked about anger, it's not always bad. And we, we talked about anger is a normal human thing. 
we need to stop beating ourselves up for the anger because that often makes you more angry. I, I had such a big anger problem with And the thing that has helped me to solve that anger problem more than anything is to just acknowledge and accept fully that I'm angry. When I get angry because I'm angry, what do you think happens? You feed anger to anger, just to get more angry. Right? So I'm like, oh man, I got angry. Like, oh, what's wrong with me? Stop being angry. Now I'm more angry. Now I'm angry because I'm angry because I'm angry. Now I'm angry because I'm angry because I'm angry because I'm angry. Now I'm angry. You see what I love, right? It never works. You just gotta accept it. I'm angry. I'm really ticked off. And then give it to God. That fully accepts that that is you. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, friends, filthiness and wickedness are related things, right? But in a lot of cases, we think of filthiness as what is in the world around us. Later, it's going to talk about being stained by the world. You ever be around something that's filthy? Yesterday, we had a cleaning day. By the way, thank you to everyone who helped cleaning the Wonderful. I meant to put that in the but I forgot. So right now, it's Thank you, guys. But yesterday, uh, a few of us went to the Ann Arbor uh, Recycling Center. There's a drop-off station. And there, um, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's because you're recycling and there's garbage there, but it is so dirty. And all the cars that are driving, they just kick up all this dirt, right? And so Kevin, our intern, and I, we were like putting some stuff in the dumpster, and cars and vans and trucks were going by, just dusters everywhere. And my nice, brand new 2018 CRV is just coated in dust, right? And, and Kevin was like, man, I need to go home and just take a shower. Oh my gosh, it was just coated in dust. And so friends, filthiness is about being out in the world that is filthy. There's just stuff in this world that is just going to cling to you. Just automatic. And you have to expect that. And as the Christians, we arrogant to the point to say, oh, we're all facing it. I used to be in the world and I won't get filthy. Friends, don't deceive yourself. Don't kid yourself. You're out there in the world, you're going to get filthy. Right? Kevin and I were like, oh, how do we get filthy? <laughs> come on, trucks, come on. It just happens automatically. This just comes with the territory. If you are in a filthy world, you can get filthy. Right? So it's not something to feel bad about. Oh, why am I so filthy? Well, because you're in a filthy world. It just happens. Right? But then what happens is that filthiness becomes a part of you and it becomes rampant wickedness. What is rampant wickedness? Rampant means it's out of control. Right? You cannot control it. It means it's just coming out of you. I don't think that means just the serial killers and the rapists and the mass murderers and all that kind of stuff. It definitely, that's rampant wickedness. But I think rampant wickedness is just about if you live in a filthy world, there will be things that just automatically come out of you. And if you cannot control that, that's rampant. And so oftentimes we read this and we're like, rampant wickedness, not me, that's definitely not. I think for a lot of us, if there are things that you cannot control in your life, then this is exactly what we're talking about. So we need to put away this. We need to learn how to do this, friends. 
Put away all the filthiness and rendered wickedness, wickedness, and receive instead with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So there's something within you, wickedness, clogging up your life, clogging up the pores of your soul, right? Just like that dust and dirt will do to your skin, right? All the good things can't get in. But friends, what would happen if there was a way where you could remove the filthiness, you, you, you could put it away, you could put away the wickedness, and instead, with meekness, humility in other words, to receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The implanted word. Word in scripture has a lot of different meanings. Word means, yes, scripture, and that is the one that we most often use, and that's right. Word means the spoken word of God, the commands of God, the action of God. Logos does not mean just written words, but it means action. And also, as it says in John 1, Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the Word of God. So as we are receiving His words and commands, it is not just about receiving words and commands, it is about receiving the living is Jesus. That's what you need. To have that implanted into your souls. This reminds me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. Again, friends, that's just the world we live in. There's the, we're just in environments in, where we are in the way of sinners. Where we are in the sea of scoffers, where there's a counsel of the wicked. It's just the world out there. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. What does that sound like, friends? If you're producing fruit, it reminds you of the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? which we said was the rightness of God. This is the rightness of God. As the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the Scriptures of God, all of these things, as these are being absorbed into your being, and you let this be a part of you, then you will become righteous. The righteousness of God will just start coming out of you. This is what we desire. This is what we want. And so, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Friends, how many of us feel like we're withering in this life? And it's not just about, like, oh, I'm doing bad things, but my life is not in the rightness of God. My life is not one that is prospering. I feel like I'm withering. Oh, man, my energy levels. I'm almost tired. I'm almost fatigued. I'm almost stressed. I'm almost anxious. I'm almost on edge. That is not the life of the rightness of God. It's not what God desires for you. But when we are in, just soaking and marinating in God's word, then we begin to prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Dallas Willard talks about this sometimes, that when you read in Scripture, 
the law. The law is not a way for us to become righteous by trying to fulfill it. We just try really hard to do everything that the law says, at least all the, the final points of the law, the hundreds of the laws. But what that is what it says is what the law does is it describes the way of the righteous. Yes, the only way you will get there is by the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be by your own doing, by your own spirit, your own will, trying really hard to do things. But friends, there are ways that God is going to use us. And yes, it does involve your action. It does involve us. But there is a way of the righteous that God is pointing us to. And so then we get to this point. Be doers of the word and not carers only, deceiving yourselves. This is a big theme of James. And this is very important for us. Do not deceive yourself. We like being right. We like feeling that we are right already. And so deception has to be a big part of it because we know and you're really not all that right. And I'm talking about not right in your opinions. I'm talking about being right in your life. If you're not right in your life, but you feel this overwhelming need to be right, then what are you going to do? You are going to deceive yourself. And this is one of the things we do. We hear scripture and we're like, oh, good work. Good work, Pastor. Ooh, good stuff. But we don't do it. We don't expect that to do. Because we know when we look at our lives and it measures up to the Word of God, like, we're nowhere close. So this is how we deceive ourselves. I heard the Word of God. I read the Word of God. Yay! Right? Like, yes, I'm blessed. Right? And James is like, don't deceive yourselves. Brothers and sisters, do not deceive yourselves. It's not enough. You just hear it. You gotta do it. It's gotta become a part of you. For anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, we'll explain what that is in a moment, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Perseveres in the Greek, it means to remain with. Like, the law is right here with you. You remain with it. Remember, we said that we don't like the law sometimes. We don't like these things. It makes us uncomfortable because we realize we're not doing it. So what a lot of us do is we don't remain with it. We just hear it, and then we forget. Right? You're like, oh yeah, I should forgive my enemies. Then you meet an enemy. You're not forgiving your enemy. And that doesn't feel good to know that about yourself. That you're someone who can't forgive your enemies. And so what do we do? We forget that. That's far from your mind. But here it's saying that you must remain with the law, with that perfect law, the law of liberty. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now friends, let's circle back here to the perfect law, the law of liberty. In the very next chapter, just a few verses later, you gotta remember, when you read these letters, they were often were not meant to be like, oh, just read two lines of this letter once a year, right? Take it out of context. No, we were meant to read the whole thing at once. This is why we, we're, we're starting to do this more in LG, to go through an entire book of the Bible 
um, just in a row. But next week, it is going to describe the royal law, which sounds a lot like the perfect law, the law of liberty, right? So it's my contention that this is the same thing. This is what he's talking about, right? It's just a few lines later. Right? And so he tells you exactly what that, that is. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Or friends, in the NIV, the translation is, you are doing right. That's the, the, the perfect law, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the operative thing that James wants to talk about. Right? That's the part that we are ignoring. You hear all this stuff about uh, you know, what God wants for you, and you hear that, and you're like, mm, I like it, because mm, it makes me feel good. How many people use scripture just to make them feel good? And, and James is like, this is insanity. You receive the scripture, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm blessed. Oh yeah, I received this good stuff. But you forget all the stuff, the important stuff about loving other people. And God's demand for that. And he said it's like looking at a mirror, going away, and immediately forgetting what you look like. Going back to that mirror, you'd be like, who the heck is that? When you're looking at the law and they're talking about love, they're saying, that's supposed to be you. That's your identity in Christ. For you to be in Christ, and for God to be within you, friends, for this word to be in you, means that we must naturally love, or should I say supernatural? Because it doesn't come from your flesh. It doesn't come from what is automatic. It doesn't come from what is comfortable. It doesn't come from what feels good. But the more that you have the presence of God within you, the more you will become loved. And so friends, there is this whole thing in terms of how do we do this thing? And so, I, I want to say something, friends, that might sound kind of funny. I think we think too much. I, 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 just, I think that thinking is not bad. And I've mentioned this before. I think I actually mentioned this last week. Thinking is not that, but it is meant to be a tool. And remember, we talked about that rampant wickedness, and we talked about the flesh. There are parts of ourselves as human beings that are not operating the way that they're supposed to. This is the way a tool works. When I want to use a tool, I use it. And when I don't want to use it, I put it away. Our minds do not work that way. We cannot put away our minds. We can't stop thinking of them. Right? I mentioned this before. How many of us are up all night because you can't turn off your brain? Like, oh my gosh, I wish you could stop thinking, but you can't. Because you're not in control. Right? Your thoughts bring you to places. You ever just get so obsessed with some thought about how you were wronged? And other people were like, man, that's kind of crazy. Like, there's another way to look at this. And you're like, yeah, objectively that makes sense, but I can't think any other way. But I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Friends, that doesn't sound like freedom to you. That sounds like We are slave to our sinful thoughts. And when I mean sin, I'm not saying just doing bad things. 
But I'm saying the thoughts that are apart from God, that just insist on its own way. I'm just going to do it this way because I want to. That is not a Christ. Being a Christ is being able to submit your will to God. To even say, I don't want to do it, but I will do it. Because that is what God wills. And yes, more and more, perfectly our wills and God should match up. But let's be honest, we're not there and I mentioned last week about like, my, my little ordeal with uh, working out. That when I start thinking about whether or not I want to, I want to work out, I don't do it. You know? Because my, my brain will be like, oh, yeah, let's not do this. Let's just catch that couch is there. You know? Same thing has happened with my fire times. Friends, I talk about how I go to the park all the time. And so it took a long time to get myself to go to the park because oftentimes I'd sit there. Do I want to go to the park? It's not the ideal time to go to the park. Right? And I think by the way out of it. Then I got to the point where I got disciplined enough where I just would go to the park. Then I would go to the park and I'm like, you know what? Friends, this is what we're friends, right? I can confess this as your pastor. I still play Pokemon Go. I know, don't judge me. I just play Pokemon Go. I'm 21 years old. I still play Pokemon Go. Don't judge me, guys. What's in your life, okay? But so I go there and I'm like, you know what? What Pokemon are you going to catch? There's so many nice Pokemon here, you know? Exercise a little bit, you know, or I'm gonna listen to an audiobook, right? And an hour and a half into my time at the park, I, I haven't spent that quiet time before. Now, friends, more and more, I'm learning that in everything I do, that can be my time for the Lord. But I still need that because I'm weak. I need that time where I'm just like, God, I'm lost. I'm going to spend this time. I read this book. This is not a Christian book, and so it might be kind of funny to, to uh, mention this, but this is a book that's like a, a, a bestseller. And uh, I mean, it's sold like millions and millions of copies. And uh, it's called the, the Five Second Rule. Has anyone heard about this? Now, in this context, it's not the Five Second Rule where you drop food and you're like, oh, it's been less than five seconds, it's good. Which, by the way, isn't true. <laughs> Bacteria is still on your food. Five seconds, ten seconds, it doesn't matter. But, anyways, uh, that what this was about was uh, so this woman Mel Robbins wrote this book, and Mel Robbins was going through a period in her life where she was depressed. Uh, her career was going nowhere. Her husband's uh, business was about to go bankrupt, and she just couldn't get out of bed anymore. It was the hardest thing. She had three kids, kept getting ready to go to school, and other times they were late, or it was just almost as mad scramble because she just kept hitting that snooze bar. Right? For like an hour and a half, just nonstop, she just couldn't get out of bed. It was getting so bad, she was getting desperate. So one night, she was up late, she couldn't sleep, and she's just watching late night TV, and there's a commercial. And in the commercial was uh, a simulated rocket launch, right? And they had like the, the, the countdown, you know, five, four, three, two, one. And so she thought to herself, you know what? She's like, this is really stupid, but I'm desperate, so I'm willing to entertain stupid thoughts. It's like, tomorrow morning, when the, the alarm goes off, I'm just going to count down like that rocket. Like, five, four, three, two, one, and I'm going to launch myself out of bed like a rocket. So the next morning, you know, her husband's sitting there, she's like, five, four, three, two, one. And it worked. And she wrote a book that sold millions of copies. It sounds like the dumbest thing, right? But she's like, what she does is when there is an instinct to do something that she knows is good, work out, love someone, 
you know, give to the poor, whatever it is. Well, whatever thing that naturally you stop and you start thinking. You're like, hmm, that's making me uncomfortable. Do I really want to do this? And what happens more often than not is you talk your way out of it. You think your way out of it. And so she says, before the thinking can get hold, you have about five seconds to actually act. Before your brain swoops in, it's like, hmm, no, 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 no. Let's take over here. Nothing to hear, to see here, Steve. Brain's in charge now. We'll sabotage this, okay? So you can just be comfortable. And so what she would do is she would just count down from five. And she says, by the way, it doesn't work when you do one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five is too easy. <laughs> but five, four, three, two, one, you have to think a little bit, right? It's not automatic. And so you focus on the counting. And also, we're all trained. When I say five, four, three, two, one, you're all expecting something, right? Same thing with your brain. Your brain is like, okay, we got to do something, right? And so you can't do right? And so, I, I read this book and I was cracking up because I don't count down, but I literally launch myself out of bed every morning. My wife, like, used to be so suppressed. Like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? I, like, just, like, rock back and forth and just, boom, just, like, launch myself out of bed. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, who knew that? I'm not the only one. But, friends, I just saved you about 20 bucks because that's the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> but, friends, the idea is, that is there a way where when there is something God wants you to do, you just do it. You just do it without thinking. And so after reading that book, it really helped me with my quiet time thing. So I'm like, you know what? This is a good thing. I know every time I come to the park and I spend time with the Lord, I never leave him like, man, why did I come to the park? Why did I spend time with the Lord? You know what's crazy, friends? This is how you know your brains are not staring you in the right way. Those things you want to do, like, oh man, I'm gonna stay on Facebook for two hours, right? Like, oh man, I'm just gonna play a game. And usually they don't, your brain doesn't promise you two hours. It's just like, let's just go on Facebook. Before you know it, two hours have passed. How many times have we done the things that we wanted to and been like, why did I do that? It's a waste of time. That didn't get me I feel that way all the time about the things I want to do. But the things God wants me to do, I hardly ever feel that way. Why did I love that person? Why did I forgive them? What, what, why did I spend time with the Lord? Why did I pray? Oh, my God. That never happens. That literally never happens. It's almost like this. Why don't I do this more? Why is it so hard to get me to this place where I actually do it? And so this is what I do that place. Every morning, it's just my routine. I go to the park, and before I open Pokemon Go, before I do anything else, 30 minutes with the Lord, just automatically, no thinking at all, just do it. Just do it because you know that's where God wants us to be, and it's always a blessing. Right? And then the more I do that, my will starts to become alive to me, and my brain starts coming around. It starts coming under the Lordship of Jesus instead of all the things that I should be doing for Jesus, being under the Lordship of my brain. And so, all of these things, friends, it says that anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives, him, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So do not kid yourself, friends. Don't think that you can just spout out whatever you want. You know, without thinking, without slowing down, without, uh, uh, you know, being uh, slow to, uh, quick to listen, 
and slow to speak. But what this is talking about is our religion is worthless if what is coming out of our lives is what is already there. Why is that? Because it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, which is about what, friends? It's about love. Love for who? The neglected people. Who are widows and orphans? They are people that do not have connections in this world. They do not naturally have love. Right? Because they have lost those people. Those people have died. And the way we work in this world is if you just automatically go through life, you will forget those people. You will not make an effort to visit those people. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're not making an effort to. Right? It never crossed your mind. If you just automatically do what you are going to do in life, you will not love widows and orphans. It's not going to just flow from your life naturally. And then the second part is so important. And keep oneself unstained from the world. Right? We talked about that filthiness in the world. That's just naturally going to rub off on you. That's just the way the world works. And so, if you do not bridle your tongue, if you just go and just talk, what do you think the things within you are coming from? Automatically. They're probably coming from the world. Right? And so, friends, we need a different word. We need the word of God penetrating into our souls and our lives. We need to open up those spaces that's what listening is all about. It is the humility to, to recognize, I, I'm not always right. I don't have all the answers. If I knew that, if I lived that, then why am I listening? Why am I acting as if I already have all the answers? Why am I acting as if everything is already right and I'm always right? If, do, am I more interested in feeling that I'm right? We're being right with God. That is what I need to ask myself. And if that is true, then I need to create those spaces where God's word, God's presence, that's what that part is about. It's about being in the presence of God. Not what I do, but what God does within me to implant that word into my soul so I can be right. It's Jesus. So, Christian, can you guys come up? Let's just take a moment to uh, to pray. And maybe, friends, maybe we just want to take a moment to just let this message settle. Friends, maybe there's a part of you that is fighting something that, that I said. Friends, you know, there's something that I said that you know wasn't nuanced enough for you. Um, I just want to encourage you. Because I have been trying this as well. Can we try to see the truth that God wants to do? Stop focus on those little hard edges of imperfect human speech, because I am an imperfect human being. Can I always communicate as clearly as the Holy Spirit So can we in this moment just say, God, I want to do you. Speak to me. Where are those places where I'm not letting go work in? I'm just being stained by this world and I'm automatically acting out the programs of this world. I'm not living as a person of love. I'm not fulfilling the world. Can I just admit that and be open to that truth?